Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. Here we go. It's another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Let's step back into the ring, back into time as we get wall-to-wall, treetop tall, with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller, and the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. He had the nerve. He had the blood. There never was a house like the Tennessee stud. What's up there? What's up there in Tennessee? Oh, geez, man. Uh, cold. Kind of kind of, kind of uh, got a little nasty last night, man. <laughs> uh, coldest uh, Halloween I think I've ever remembered. I can ever remember. Uh, we're down to 23 here. Wow. Mountains, so wow, it's uh, getting... Uh, uh, but it'll warm back up. Thank goodness for that. But um, it was uh, it was pretty 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 cool last night. Pretty chilly. Oh, I still short pant weather down here in southeast Alabama. Thirty eight. We we all right with that. Thirty eight <laughs> short pants. <laughs> you see it everywhere. <laughs> all right. So listen, stud man. I tell you what. The the last stud cast and every one of them it seems just phenomenal. I'm curious about how. This is going to work with Studcast as we move forward. The Tennessee Territory is gone. It's being run by new owners, Jim Barnett and Fred Ward from the Georgia Territory. So how does it work as we move forward, Stud? Well, you know, uh, I've been been struggling, man, to hold on to both these territories for it seemed like almost uh, the entire year of 1979. And I found out uh, my dream of... uh, Owning two territories and having a two territory operation was not as easy as I thought it was going to be, and uh, <laughs> especially based upon so many challenges that just kept happening in 1979. So I'd fought the good fight, man, to keep uh, to keep it going and to make it happen, like uh, like I'd wanted it to. Mm-hmm. But uh, I finally realized that. Uh, uh, I, if I wasn't careful, I was going to lose maybe both territories if I continued down the same path. Hmm. So I've tried to tell this unique story uh, to the best of my ability uh, every week uh, by reliving it uh, in both territories. In Studcast uh, number 320, uh, once I made the decision to definitely sell one of the two territories, I did my best to explain how and why. I chose to sell tell the sell the Tennessee territory. Mm-hmm. I sold it for basically uh, exactly what I paid for it, but uh, I had thankfully uh, made far more out of it 
than I could have ever imagined I would. Yeah. And uh, yep. in my first territory in Tennessee, I had learned how to build a wrestling business from one that was not a huge moneymaker like that one was in Knoxville when I bought it uh, into one that many called basically one of the best territories, maybe the best small territory in the world. So I'd already learned at the early age of 31, man, to never look back. Or once once you make a decision, and you never question that decision, basically. And you commit yourself 100%. And uh, then you do your best once you've committed yourself to make it happen. And, uh, so there was no doubt I was leaving Tennessee. And I obviously focused entirely on that territory. 500 miles to the south and Pensacola, Florida. So the Knoxville Five and All-Star Wrestling was still up there and doing their best to kill the sport for all these Tennessee fans. That's what I saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were basically out to just uh, to, to, to just uh, finish it up there in that part of the country. And I was pretty sure Jim Barnett had ideas of how to take care of that situation because he had <laughs> been through that Atlanta war and he did a pretty good job with that about five years earlier. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I was uh, I was just uh, very, very, uh, very uh, uncomfortable um, with uh, not with hanging on to Knoxville and I guess had to make the change. OK, based on what you just said, Stud, I understand perfectly why this stud cast and this is number 323, by the way, why it's titled One Gone, One to Grow. Thinking back on how we ended the last stud cast, you're announcing that. The Gulf Coast Territory now had a company running matches there. The title for the studcast, this one, really says it all. Well, you know, I was definitely moving on. But I, but I have to admit, having competition now down there on the Gulf Coast, I was wondering what's next, basically. You know, I didn't expect that. But uh, I was determined to make a huge success of that Gulf Coast Territory. Uh, another wrestling war or not, I didn't care. I was going to make it happen. So that brings me back to the question you asked at the beginning of the studcast here, Dave, you know, about about uh, how do I plan basically on doing things in each of these studcasts now that I only got one territory to deal with. So and, uh, and that's a great question. So uh, hey, basically, uh, here's the plan, I guess, for today and maybe going forward. Uh, we're going to spend some time in the first part of this studcast talking about Barnett's first Coliseum. Of Knoxville Coliseum event, but we're also going to limit it uh, to his card and then the attendance and to my thoughts about the event. And uh, after that point, uh, uh, after the sale of the territory, we're from this point on not going to be spending a lot of time discussing Tennessee. So uh, I certainly don't want any Tennessee fans though to think we're leaving them behind because that's definitely not the case. I know at the end of 1979 and from early 1980 through 1983 at least, fans up there still had wrestling every week. But I was not aware of what was going on in those matches and cards, so I can't basically focus on what's going on up there because I don't keep up with that, never kept up with that information. So uh, basically, we're going to move down south. And, uh, you know, I don't think uh, – I don't uh, – I don't quite know, uh, based upon the size of the crowds, as the attendance kept that uh, back in that day between the 80 and 83, when they still had wrestling. You know, I know that uh, the, the fans there, uh, they were personally going to see uh, a lot of great wrestling, uh, but none of the Tennessee fans 
uh, are going to miss any of what was going to happen down there in the Gulf Coast. I can guarantee them that. And uh, during these all those years between 80 and 83, and, and we're going to return up there in, uh, in Tennessee in 1985. So, uh, so and I also, uh, you know, I said I would last studcast. I'm going to read the entire newspaper, little newspaper article uh, right up in the Knoxville Journal mm-hmm. on Sunday, November 11th, 1979, about the facts of the sale of Southeastern Wrestling. I'm going to do that one and this one as well. All right, that's going to be interesting. So where will we be writing the rest of this studcast after you finish, I guess, wrapping up the loose ends maybe in Tennessee, Ron? Well, we'll be riding obviously into the real southeastern at this point, uh, the Pensacola, Florida territory, uh, right down there on America's Gulf Coast. And we'll be talking about today, Mobile's card and Expo Hall of Wednesday night, November 7th, 1979. Uh, we're going to discuss a tremendous TV show with new wrestlers that are going to freak out the studio and uh, and those people at home as well. And we'll discuss the results of the matches and the attendances for all three of the major cities in that territory. And uh, then we'll take a look at who's coming there uh, to make that territory rock. Uh, plus today, Dave, I guess we're going to have, in my opinion, I'm going to guarantee we're going to have a... <laughs> Learning tree question <laughs> for the first time in a long time. All right. Now, I hope you can deliver on that guarantee of a learning tree question. There could be a fuller leg lock involved, stud. So you keep <laughs> that in mind. It sounds like a long ride. And that being the case, we better get on it right away. All right. Back to Knoxville, where you said you would start today. So what was on that first Southeastern Knoxville Coliseum card? Promoted by the new Georgia Promoters, Friday, November 9th, 1979. Okay, the opening match was Ted Allen against Wayne Perry, guy from Georgia. Don't know much about Wayne Perry. Uh, Tony Charles, uh, the only wrestler other than Gorgeous George Jr. and myself, still left uh, on this card that we're going to be talking about here from the old Southeastern Company. Uh, Tony was going to be facing the Georgia Territories, Jerry Roberts. The next match featured two wrestlers from the Georgia Territory, uh, Pierre Lefevre against the wrestler who started his career in Southeastern Gulf Coast, the Hulk, who was now at this point being called Sterling Golden. And then uh, there was going to be a $1,000 challenge match, David Schultz, Dennis Condry, uh, both Georgia wrestlers, uh, been down there in that territory for a short period of time. Uh, they were going to be taking on Tony Atlas, who was another great Georgia wrestler, and myself. Then the main event was uh, now uh, all four of these guys were Georgia wrestlers. It was a tape fist tag match with brass knuck rules. The Southeastern Tag Champions, Dick Slater and Paul Orndorff, were going up against Ox Baker and the Angel Frank Morrell, managed by Gorgeous George Jr., which is, by the way, going to be Gorgeous George Jr.'s last appearance ever in Knoxville. Wow. Okay. All right. You said you were not going to have the TV show and results of the matches because you were no longer involved in either of those. But what about attendance? Were you keeping up with that? Yeah. The week before on my last promoted uh, Southeastern event, it had been only about 2,500, the smallest Coliseum crowd in years there. And uh, this one was uh, definitely not the way Jim Barnett, uh, I believe, wanted to start 
his new company, the crowd actually dropped from 2,500 to 2,200. Wow. Okay. So a totally different card than what fans were accustomed to. Only three wrestlers from the old Southeastern on it with two new big name Georgia stars, Tony Atlas and, as you said, Sterling Golden, the former Hulk Hogan or Hulk so far. I noticed right away that this card only had five matches on it. What were your thoughts on the card, Ron? Well, yeah, you hit that right away, Dave. Uh, I noticed that first too, you know. And uh, and the five match card, I had, I went and had a conversation with Jim Barnett about it as soon as I saw it uh, on their first TV show, which was six days before this card actually happened, uh, you know. And I went to the TV. I was on that TV show and did an interview, but uh, I saw there were only five matches. Now I, I warned Jim that he needed to treat Knoxville the same way he treated Atlanta. You know, and uh, having worked on many Atlanta cards, uh, some of them for him and some long before Barnett got there, I knew he never had less than six matches on a card in Atlanta, and uh, many times more than six matches. And I told him since 1977 when the Southeastern Territory started to get big for me and, uh, and it was doing good that I added a match to every Knoxville card from then on. So I basically told him I went from five to six matches mm-hmm. starting in 1977. And uh, I want to make you aware of that. And, uh, you know, and I said, I always obviously treated Knoxville as the major market in my territory, which obviously it was. So I told him, you know, cutting one match off each week in Knoxville was probably not going to keep producing the cards there that the territory had become famous for. So I tried to press the point of the importance of treating Knoxville, as I said, just like it was another Atlanta. And uh, and I told him, you know, I think it's going to be critical, Jim, to your success or failure here. Uh, so uh, then uh, and then I offered to give him uh, more, you know, more of my southeastern stars uh, that were now on their way down to the southeastern Gulf Coast, you know, because only three guys being on this card. I knew that was going to be not not going to be a good thing at this point. He had to get these new guys over. So I was hoping to help him basically maintain that strong fan base, especially in Knoxville during these early weeks of this transition until those fans there had the time to get to know his talent and let his talent get over. Mm. So I tried to alert Jim to the fact that, uh, you know, that he had competition. And that All-Star Wrestling had five regular former stars that were still really over uh, competing against him. Basically, to let him know this wasn't like a situation in Atlanta where he did. He had a totally different situation, you know, and he didn't know much about the All-Star deal. Mm -hmm. So I told him, you know, not to underestimate the, the potential ability of these guys to grow their business a little bit. I told him they've been only around a thousand people, but uh, you want to keep it to that level. You don't want to let them get to establish their stars before you can establish yours. Oh, exactly. That's a a great piece of advice too. Even though you were selling the country, uh, the company, sorry, and about to walk away, but you, you still cared about the company. So it sounds like you were really trying to help him just right from the start, just get off on the good foot. Oh, yeah, of course I was. You know, I wanted them to be successful. Uh, the last thing I wanted to see was the Knoxville Five start to do better and 
heaven forbid, maybe even take over the territory. Right? <laughs> Terrible. So did Jim did Jim Barnett take any of your suggestions? What kind of guy was he when it came to that type back and forth with the two of you? Well, he was a very sharp guy, you know, and, and he'd been extremely successful really quick in ending the Atlanta war when he came there in 1974. And he did that by basically buying out his competition. Well, now he's not going to buy out the all-star. So, you know, it's a different situation there. And I think Jim underestimated his competition in this war. And uh, just how far the Knoxville Five were going to go to kill wrestling in that part of the country, I don't think he understood. So I tried to explain all this to him. Mm. And at the same time, I think he overestimated his own ability to stop them. You know, mm. so so the answer to your question uh, basically was uh, that Barnett uh, took very few of my suggestions. Mm. All right, before and before we move on, I want to ask a sideline note. He named the Hulk Sterling Golden. Was that the that was not the first time he had been called Sterling Golden, right? I think uh, we we gave him that little deal deal uh, fairly early once he got started down there. Obviously, uh, he started out as the Hulk, and uh, right. then we tried. And uh, you know, uh, I think uh, Terry Bolia, uh, the Hulk, yeah. he, he wanted. To, he wanted to play with the names. He wanted to figure out a good name for himself. And mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. so I think he came up with the idea of Sterling Golden. And uh, I think, well, you know, we, we tried to put the other names on him. But uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, there was a there was a little bit of a different situation here with uh, with the names so far as uh, as the Hulk was concerned. So you so you're saying Terry, uh, the Hulk came up with the Sterling Golden. Yes, I think he came up with that name, and uh, we used it a little bit. We, uh, but we used uh, other names for him as well there yeah. too. So uh, you know, uh, he was still trying to find himself. I guess that's right. a good way of right. putting it. You right. know, he he had to, he'd been in the ring doing a great job. Uh, he had to, he was going to be successful, but he was still trying to find out who he really was. Really fascinating stuff, stud. So. All right, tell us about the article in the newspaper two days after Barnett's first event in the Knoxville Coliseum. Tell us about that. Okay, uh, definitely, man. Uh, you know, and, and I'm going to read this article exactly as it appeared in the sports section of the Knoxville paper on uh, Sunday, November 11th, 1979, two days after the match that we just, uh, we just talked about, the night we just talked about. Yes, the article starts with the headline, Bob Pope buys Southeastern Wrestling. Bob Pope, here is the article itself. Bob Pope has a background in the sporting goods business, coaching, and insurance, has accepted a new challenge. The former web standout in football and basketball put together a group of investors to buy Southeastern Wrestling Incorporated from Ron Welch and Don Curtis, Jacksonville, Florida. Key investors are Fred Ward and James Barnett, successful TV wrestling promoters in Atlanta. The new group will be known as Southeastern Wrestling Corporation. There are two things I hope to accomplish, said Pope, 33 33 years old, 1968 UT graduate in history with a master's in 1971. First, I feel we should bring in the top wrestling talent from across the country, Tony Atlas, Sterling Golden, 320 pounds, 
and known as the Wrestling Hulk and Harley Race. And second, I hope to return something to the community through civic work, myself and the wrestlers. The new wrestling group will have an office on Magnolia Avenue near Chihuahua Park, Les Thatcher, TV Productions and Public Relations, and Charlie Bauer, promoter, will continue with the new organization. There will be no change in change in admission prices or location of our matches, said Polk, former assistant coach in football and basketball at Baylor, Chattanooga, and Webb School before establishing a sporting goods store. Polk, who has worked part-time in wrestling the past few years, was employed by Broadus Anderson and Associates before embarking on his new venture. Yeah, just to remind everybody, uh, Dave, uh, uh, we talked about this guy, Bob Polk, uh, about uh, two, two, three, two or three stud casts back uh, mm-hmm. when Jim Barnett said, I'm looking for a guy that you think's qualified to be a front man for us. And uh, so that's kind of how this uh, how came about and why they're talking about Bob Polk. Wow. All right. So you mean that's all that's all they said to describe the, to describe the sale of a company that sold a million plus tickets a year for three years in a row and had become the biggest sport really in that part of the entire country. You you had sold even more tickets than five or six home games for Tennessee football and Neyland Stadium is one of the biggest stadiums in college football. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was not a big deal. I mean, it certainly wasn't uh, uh, headlines in the sports, but uh you know, but and they want to. Nobody really wants to say that wrestling is as successful as it was. <laughs> you know, and uh, so that was pretty obvious. You know, and and that was that was it. That was basically what, all that was said about it. And and it was, as you said, in a way, it was an end to an era that was never going to happen there again. You know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, an era where a wrestling company, which was relatively unknown and uh, hardly ever recognized by the newspapers at all, basically. Uh, that wrestling territory had become that part of the country's most popular sport. Wow. Okay. All right. And I got a question about, I want to go back about Hulk Hogan again, who now known as the Hulk so far, and maybe Sterling Golden is the new name that he's going to be going by, according to Jim Barnett. So how did Jim Barnett, how did he look at Hulk Hogan? Did he see what you guys in South, in the South part of Southeastern, uh, in southeastern Gulf Coast, I guess you would say. Did he see what you guys had seen? Did he see the future there? Was he was he like, oh, this is a big deal? What was it like with, when he first saw Hulk Hogan? Oh, you know, I think he did. I mean, uh, you know, uh, actually, uh, well, I'm going to be wrestling Hulk Hogan and a couple of stud casts down the road here uh, uh, on Thanksgiving night. And uh, he has, at that point, put the belt on Hulk. Hulk is his champion at that point. Okay. But actually, the Southeastern champion. Right. Uh, he's the first guy uh, to get that championship once uh, Barnett takes over the company, mm-hmm. and he's still calling the company Southeastern. So, yeah, I mean, uh, he had a lot of potential guys to, to put that belt on, mm-hmm. but uh, he stuck it on uh, He stuck it on Hulk. Uh, but uh, Hulk's going to be leaving him. That's the bad part about it. <laughs> Yeah. He doesn't know it, but Oak is not going to be staying with him very long. Yeah, I was curious how long that was going to last. Hey, I'll tell you what, this has been a lot of fun so far, and it's a great place to end this first part of today's Studcast. We've got a lot, a lot of ground to cover 
coming up. So y- you had done something that no one in Knoxville or Eastern Tennessee had ever accomplished. And we're going to learn more about that, too. When we return, let's go south to Mobile, Alabama, to grow that territory and make it even bigger than what you had accomplished in Tennessee. That is going to be coming up when this Studcast continues in moments. All right, Studcast fans, it is that time again. It's time to do your Christmas shopping online at tnstud.com. Visit the Stud Store, get your unique gifts for that favorite fan at the best prices anywhere. Everything comes with free shipping. 8x10 color pictures, personally autographed by the Stud, only $15 each. Rod's best-selling Smoky Mountain Lion novel, Brutus makes a perfect Christmas gift. Just $19.99 for the book or $29.99 personally autographed to you just in time for Christmas and with free shipping. Brand new softest silk t-shirts will be up next week. Check them out. Avoid the rush. Order now and give that special someone a gift they'll never forget. TNstud.com. Click on Stud Store. All right, welcome back, everybody. Another Studcast with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. I'm David Summers. Let's get going. Let's jump right into Mobile, Alabama's Expo Hall. And the date is Wednesday, November 7th, 1979. All right, set up the card. Who was on the card, Stud? Well, this one opened up with Tom Shaft uh, wrestling against Ted Allen, uh, who was making, Ted was making his first appearance ever down there in the southeastern Gulf Coast. And uh, he was also going to be opening the Knoxville show for the Georgia promoters uh, two days after this mobile cart. So uh, Ted's going, he's doing some traveling, man. And uh, so, and then due to last week's uh, competition, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about it. They're called Tri-State Wrestling Card uh, that we talked about uh, that had quite a few wrestlers that were people that I knew and was very familiar with that had wrestled for me one of those being Terry Latham, I kind of rewarded Ricky Fields, who was a family member. The Fields were related to us, the Welches, and uh, he had, Ricky was the son of Lee Fields. Uh, I kind of rewarded Ricky for not going with those guys, and, and I put him on this card. In fact, I'm going to put him on several of them, as a matter of fact. And uh, So uh, Ricky was going to be going up against The Rock, who was Rock Hunter. Yes, the next match was a tag team match. Uh, it had Roy Lee Welch, and his partner was the wrestling pro, Leon Baxter, and they were going up against a brand-new team, man, called the Mongolians. Uh, then Archie Goldie, uh, the Mongolian stomper, basically, you know, had horrified Gulf Coast fans nine months earlier <laughs> before he left and went to Memphis, basically in January of 1979. And uh, this time, he wasn't alone. He had personally trained his son, man, and... They were calling themselves the Mongolians, and obviously, they looked almost exactly alike. Wow. <laughs> His son looked, it was a pretty much a replica of him, maybe just a little bit smaller. And uh, they were managed by one of the brightest minds in the business, a guy <laughs> named Frankie Kane, who had <laughs> wrestled for me in 1976 in Knoxville as the great Mephisto. Wow. Okay, wait, Ron. So, did you say the Mongolian stopper was returning? The wrestler that... The wrestler that freaked the studio audience out every week on TV. And this time, he had his son as a partner with a manager called the Great Mephisto. 
That's correct. <laughs> wow. The stomper was back, man, and uh, and with his son and his manager, and uh, and obviously ready to terrify the fans again, man. So the next match was a special <laughs> challenge match after what had happened the week before where Kevin Sullivan had lost his southeastern belt to Eddie Mansfield. He was facing the man that cost him the belt, Tor Tanaka. And, uh, and then there was a southeastern championship match on this card. The new champion, Eddie Sullivan. Uh, no, I'm saying, I'm sorry, Eddie Mansfield. Eddie, Eddie Mansfield was going to be going up against Bob Armstrong uh, for the southeastern championship. Then the main event for this night was going to be for the Southeastern Tag Championship. The new champions, Robert Fuller and Jerry Stubbs, were defending not only their belts, but the right to be staying in Southeastern because this was going to be a title match and a loser-leave match hmm. against the former champions, the Assassins. Wow, that's an out, that really outstanding card. So two title matches, one loser leaves, Sullivan against Tanaka, and the debut of the Mongolians, not one, but two Mongolians, the tag team with the great famous, uh, Mephisto as a manager. All right, so your title for this stud cast is becoming clearer and clearer, one gone and one to grow. So cards like this one were definitely going to grow the southeastern, the Gulf Coast territory. So what was on the TV to promote this really incredible card? We're going to start a bit with David. You know, this was the first week in November. Obviously, we're talking about Arbitron and Nielsen, man, rating period again. And there's going to be a Southeastern Heavyweight Championship match on this TV. Uh, and obviously, I was still in Knoxville for the TV. But uh, the show opened with the new Southeastern champion, Eddie Mansfield, uh, parading his belt around the bleachers, you know, rather than uh, it's supposed to be at the set with Charlie, but, uh, you know, uh, Eddie Mansfield's kind of off the wall. And so he was over parading his belt around the bleachers, and Charlie Platt's trying to get him to come to the set to begin the show. So uh, Rob said, you know, that he, he could see the frustration on Charlie's face as Mansfield, you know, wouldn't even sit down, you know, uh, making an ass of himself as usual. And uh, so Charlie <laughs> announced that Mansfield would be defending his new belt on this TV show. Uh, then he asked Eddie, you know, if, if he would like to watch the first uh, video of the day. He goes, uh, you know, the one of, of uh, how you won the belt this past week, Eddie. And uh, obviously, and because of the way he won it, Eddie turned that that top, that possibility down instantly, you know. And, and then he asked him three questions right away. He goes, uh, he goes why, why is it, uh, you know, why why they needed me to uh, wrestle on TV, you know? Uh, and why do they want to show the, me to show this win, you know? And he says, and uh, why do they have me defend the belt so soon? I just won it, right? And he goes, and and who am I going to be wrestling? So he had all kinds of questions now. And I'm sure that Charlie liked that. He had him now going in the right direction. Uh, then Kevin Sullivan, the former champion, came out of the dressing room. And uh, went straight to the set. Mansfield saw him coming, and he headed for the dressing room with his belt because uh, he, he knew what Kevin was. Kevin was very upset by how he had lost the belt. And, uh, and then Kevin asked Charlie, you know, and he says, uh, obviously, he turned down the opportunity to watch the video. He goes, how about I watch it with you, Charlie? 
And Charlie said, oh, absolutely. I'd be glad to. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in the match, the video was from Mobile. Uh, it was on that. It came from a Tuesday night rather than a Wednesday night because it was the night before Halloween. And uh, within a few seconds, everybody knew why Mansfield didn't want to see it. You know, it started with Eddie getting his butt kicked by Kevin. And then and then uh, Kevin shot him accidentally into the referee. And uh, both of them went down. And there's still a, there's a Kevin standing there over top of Mansfield and the referee basically waiting on Mansfield to get up so he can finish him off. Uh, tore Tanaka, slid in the ring behind Kevin. Uh, turned, spun him around. And he hit him, man, with one of those nasty karate thrusts, the ones where the fingers are all pointed straight out, you know, right in the throat. And, uh, wow, put put Kevin down, obviously, on his back. And Mansfield finally crawled over there on the video and topped him, and the referee counted him out. So the studio crowd, uh, they had not seen this video. You know, uh, this happened just five days earlier, and, Obviously, they responded with a bunch of boos, man, like, wow, this is horrible. And Charlie said, you know, uh, to, to Kevin, who was extremely upset, he goes, uh, he goes, Kevin, that, that was a disgraceful way for Eddie Mansfield to win a championship. He goes, uh, and with something that shouldn't, that was done like that, I can't believe it. And, you know, but then he had a little grin for Kevin, and he said, I tell you what, though, Kev, he goes, uh, uh, don't leave the station today early because you may be getting a surprise later. So as soon as Kevin uh, got walked to, he went back to the dressing room. And before Charlie could ask for him to even start the first match of the day, here came Mansfield and Tanaka uh, rushing out of the dressing room and up to the set again. So Mansfield uh, tells Charlie, you know, he says, uh, I got two videos that I want to show uh, today of recent matches from Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, and then he says, uh, you know, they, he says, one of these videos is going to explain why Tanaka's even here, and the other one's going to explain why Kevin Sullivan's here. So Charlie said, hey, I'm not aware of any videos from Tennessee that's going to be shown on this show. It's not on the format. You know, and Mansfield said, uh, you know, of course you don't know anything about it. He goes, you wouldn't be upstairs you know, now, and, uh, and, and you wouldn't be waiting for it to be shown. He said, I know how you feel about me. <laughs> he said, he said uh, you're jealous of how talented I am, you know, and he said, uh, so uh, he says, I, I think you better show this video or I'm going to have Tanaka here chop you in the throat like he did Sullivan. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so Charlie, he's really getting upset, Rob says at this point. You know, and he said he, Charlie was kind of unsure what to do, you know, but he said, hey, go ahead. You got a tape up there, run it. So it was the first time Gulf Coast fans had ever seen any video from Knoxville. And uh, and it was a very impressive video, man. It was the Coliseum. It was packed. You know, it had Kevin Sullivan and Tor Tanaka, uh, both of them bleeding in the ring. And uh, Mansfield let Charlie know that uh, – this match, while it was in progress, was a lose-or-leave match. And, you know, and, and uh, just about the time he said that, Tanaka was putting the finish to Sullivan's run. He was beating Kevin about the time that happened, you know. So then Man Mansfield said, uh, get out and told the director, I guess Eddie's now directing the show. And he says, stop that video. And he goes, put that other one in, right? So there's a second video. Hmm. 
So, um, so Mansfield told Charlie, he said, uh, this match that you're going to see now, it came one week later. And he goes, it was another loser league match uh, with Tanaka against a guy named Dick Slater. Because fans in, down south, they'd never seen Dick Slater at this point, right? So Tanaka was about to finish Dick off as well in this second video. And then uh, in comes, uh, you know, uh, Slater gets popped into the referee and went down, both of them down. Kind of looked like the same thing that had happened to Kevin. And then Kevin appeared from out of nowhere, man, slid into the ring, hit Tanaka over the head with a steel chair. Tanaka's standing there looking at Kevin, at Slater and, and the referee. And uh, Kevin does the same thing to him. So, uh, you know, the big man was knocked unconscious. He went down face first, and uh, he got counted out. As soon as Slater turned him over and covered him, the, he got counted out. So uh, Mansfield asked Charlie, he goes, now, does that not look familiar? He says, isn't that exactly what Tanaka did to Sullivan five nights ago? Right? He goes, the only difference in what happened to Sullivan and what happened to Tanaka, he said, is Sullivan is walking around today. He said, but Tanaka suffered a concussion from this chair shot that put him out of action for six weeks. He goes, and, and payback is hell, Charlie, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and he said, uh, and, uh, and then, but then, uh, you know, he said, uh, hey, Kevin Sullivan, payback is hell. And he goes, and look who is your champion. And then he raised his belt over his head to the studio audience over there. And uh, <laughs> wow. You know, he said, uh, you know, uh, it was it was a he had taken over the show basically for as in some form. <laughs> All right. So a really a brilliant use of two videos. It kind of go. It does go back to what you said last week, Stud, using videos from the past recorded in a, even in another territory to jumpstart a few between two guys in the current territory. That's that's really cool. All right. So. Who was in the next TV match? Well, uh, you know, uh, before we get to the next match, Eddie came to the set and he demanded to know who his opponent was right away, you know. And the next match was Tanaka. And it was a very short match, to be quick. To be honest, Rob said, geez, Ron, because Tanaka, Tanaka destroyed the guy quicker than he did the week before. He said it was amazing, you know. And uh, then before the second match, uh, Sullivan comes, uh, Mansfield comes out to the set again. And, uh, and he's, uh, talking about, uh, who's my opponent. He's asking Charlie, who's my opponent? Who am I wrestling in this last match for my championship here? And, uh, Charlie was already upset, upset with him. And he told him, you got to wait to find out, Eddie, you'll find out. <laughs> so, so, uh, I think, uh, you know, you're going to really identify with the studio audience in this next match, Dave. So this involved someone that had not been seen since January of 1979. Uh, this was his first match back and his first time to be seen in nine months. And, uh, and he wasn't alone. He had his partner with him that looked almost exactly like he did. And uh, for a good reason, as I said earlier, it was his son and he had been trained by him. So, so they, they also had a manager and, uh, and he was a real ring veteran. He wasn't only just a great manager, Frankie Kane, but he was a tremendous wrestler mm. and uh, one of the most respected men in the wrestling business. So, uh, so uh, then, uh, you know, uh, so uh, that's what happened next. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy here, man. Uh, 
So uh, then, uh, then once he got the, and, and I'm kind of looking forward to your reaction here about this, Dave, mm-hmm. I'll mm-hmm. be honest with you, because okay. uh, just as Rob described the reaction to me, the studio audience, I kind of see how you're going to react here. So huh. the opponents of this new team were in the ring, and uh, they had been announced before the new team even came out of the dressing room. So the first guy out at the door was the great Mephisto, Frankie Kane. Uh, fans had never seen this guy. He's dressed in Arab robes and he's got headgear on, Arab headgear on. And uh, and then uh, all of a sudden, the second man comes, <laughs> comes out of the dressing room uh, and he just charges straight to the bleachers, man, where all the fans are seated. And he's got this fierce look on his face and he was continually shouting, man, uh, uh, and uh, with this blast of air, sounded like he was grunting at them, you know, like his intention was he's going to attack the fans. <laughs> you wouldn't have any idea who that could be, would you? Uh, there's no doubt in my mind who that was. It had to be the one and only Mongolian Stomper. And I'm sure the st- <laughs> that studio audience did not stay in their seats. <laughs> Sorry, <yeah. laughs> Rob said fans were screaming in terror, man. Uh, he said some of them jumping off the top of the bleachers and all of them were headed for the exits of the studio, man. And uh, so the great Mephisto, he had never seen this before, you know. And uh, so he goes over and he's trying to grab Stomper and drag him back and uh, get some kind of control on him, get him up into the ring with his partner so they can have the match. And, uh, you know, basically uh, it was total pandemonium in the studio. I mean, like it done before he left months earlier. So so few people were left in the bleachers when the match started. Rob said the bleachers were half full because the rest of them were outside. They had run. They were out in the lobby or wherever they ran to. You know? <laughs> so the fans started filtering back in the studio, Rob said, during the course of the match. And, and he said, but it was a much quieter crowd once they got back there than it was during the early part of the show. And he said, especially, he said, when they watched the two stompers and the annihilate these two guys in the ring, he said, wow. fans were just sitting on their hands like, my God, these are killers. Wow. All right, so now I'm beginning to see the d- determination that you, Rob, and your other partners had to grow the Southeastern Gulf Coast territory. That team with that kind of manager had to be, it had to be going to explode business for you guys. So how about the personality profile? Who was up on that? Rob, uh, Rob and uh, Jerry Stubbs, Southeastern Tag Champions, were on this profile. And uh, Charlie Platt opened it up, uh, uh, presenting them uh, with their tag belts that they had been that had been illegally taken from them in a video that they're going to watch. So they their belts had been snatched by the assassins uh, on that night in Mobile, night before Halloween, uh, that we talked about the first match that we, in the video that we watched. So uh, they watched the video of the end of the match where they successfully defended their belts. But before they got the chance to leave the ring and they were getting their belts handed to them, uh, they got blasted uh, by a steel chair uh, by uh, both the assassins, got themselves chairs and they, they, they put them down, right? And, and as a result of that match, uh, and then they grabbed their belts and took their belts to the dressing room with them. So Charlie had presented Rob and Jerry their belts back, and uh, they're sitting there right next to the bleachers. And uh, and as a result of that match, uh, Southeastern had demanded 
that uh, there was going to be one more title match between these two teams, and that was going to be the last match between the two teams because the losers of that match were going to have to leave Southeastern. So it sounds like the last match for one of these two teams. So who is in the next TV match? Well, the Assassins, and uh, they got in the ring before the personality profile ended. You know, and there, there's the two guys that are about to wrestle standing, sitting down there on the set with Charlie. And uh, they're only a few feet away from him. And uh, so they took the microphone from the ring announcer, who was named Al Roberts uh, back in those days. And, uh, and, and Charlie was about to close the profile, and, uh, and they took the microphone away from him, and they challenged Rob and Stubbs right mm. there to mm. come in the ring. And, and they said, let's just have this loser-leave match right now, guys. Let's get this over with. And uh, Charlie, you know, trying to control the situation, supposed to be the end of the profile. Rob and them should have been gone from the set, you know. And uh, so Charlie's having a difficult problem with this show. He's not got much control, it seemed like, in this one. But, uh, you know, he says uh, that uh, Rob said that, uh, that that Charlie called for help, you know, uh, because Rob and Stubbs got up and they weren't dressed to wrestle, but they were kind of heading to the ring. And Charlie says, somebody come out here and help me stop this. So Bob Armstrong, Ricky Fields, Ted Allen, and a couple of other guys came, and they kind of got Rob and Stubbs, and they took them back to the dressing room. Hmm. Uh, but uh, they were about to have another uh, uh, unscheduled match. All right, so this TV show sounds like it has a little bit of everything going on. So who won the, the Assassins TV match, and who was in the last TV match? Well, the assassins won, man, and uh, and wow, they tried to be obviously just as dominating as the as the team before him, the Mongolian. This new Mongolian team was in the match that they had. So, so, and I'm sure that uh, you know having uh, two heel teams uh, on TV back to back competing against each other, I'd have hated to bend those opponents in the ring with those guys because. Those guys wanted to make a point of which team, the, which one of the two of us are the best, basically, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So the last TV match was for the Southeastern Championship, as advertised, that had been promoted during the show, and Eddie Mansfield was going to finally find out who he was going to be defending against. So uh, Charlie told me that, uh, you know, told me later that Eddie was very nervous about this match was in the ring before wrestlers finished with their interviews for upcoming match. We used to do interviews after the matches sometimes, but they were interviewing and he got in the ring. He's ready to go. And uh, he said that the ring announcer, Al Roberts, he announced Mansfield and that this was going to be a championship match. And, uh, and before uh, Eddie still didn't know who he was going to be wrestling. And Rob said the studio exploded, man, because boy, his opponent busted out of the dressing room, and it was Kevin Sullivan on his way to the ring. So uh, he mm-hmm. tore into Mansfield before the bell even rang, and uh, and he wasn't letting up a bit, Rob said, until he covered him. He got him. He pinned him, man, and real pretty quick-like. And he said all of a sudden, Tanaka slid in the ring, and he karate chopped Sullivan, who was on top of Mansfield, karate chopped him in the back, and the referee started ringing the bell. He disqualified Mansfield for outside interference right away. And then uh, Mansfield uh, threw the referee out of the ring. And then uh, he grabbed Sullivan and so that Tanaka could hit him with another one of those karate chops. And boy, uh, it was about to happen. And Bob Armstrong slid in there, man. 
And well, saved the day as usual. And then uh, stood the studio on its feet, Rob said too. He slid into the ring, uh, spun to knock around, hit him with a karate chop. Then he put Mansfield in a sleeper hole. Uh, so the studio uh, went even more crazy. You know, uh, Sullivan was on Tanaka. Mansfield was fighting Armstrong sleeper. I mean, uh, and then Tanaka rolled out of the ring and he grabbed Mansfield's legs and he drug him away from Bob. And everybody had a good look, basically, at the two big matches that were on this next card. Tanaka was going to be against Sullivan in the challenge match. Bob Armstrong was going to be against Eddie Mansfield for the Southeastern Championship. Wow. All right. Absolutely fantastic as far as the TV show goes, no doubt. So what happened in the buildings in the big show the next week? Well, Ted Allen won over Tom Shaft. Uh, Rick Fields beat The Rock, Rock Hunter. Uh, the Mongolian Stompers, uh, managed by the, uh, the Mongolians, they were called, uh, managed by the great Mephisto, won their first arena matches during the course of that week against Roy Lee Welch and the wrestling pro. Uh, and in the special challenge match, both Kevin Sullivan and Tor Tanaka were disqualified. There was no winner in that match. Uh, then in the Southeastern Championship match, Bob Armstrong beat the Paduti out of Eddie Mansfield. <laughs> I think that's the way Rob got All right. <laughs> I think that's what Rob told me. All right. You know, he evidently, he evidently made Mansfield uh, sorry that he was champion. <laughs> and uh, Then in the Southeastern tag title, uh, loser lead match, uh, Rob and uh, Jerry Stubbs, uh, they retained their belts and they sent that great assassin team. That team was really, really good. Mm. Uh, hated to see them gone out of Southeastern, basically forever. Wow. South, the assassins ever came back as a team there again. Okay. All right. So obviously a big night, a, a great night of matches. How about the attendance in those three big cities down south? Well, uh, all those cities were up. Uh, Montgomery went from 3,500 to 3,600. The Mobile went up from 4,900 to just over 5,000, which was pretty much a sellout in Expo Hall. And Dothan uh, went up 200 from 43 to 45. So the total for all three of those cities went from 12,500 up to 13,100. All right. Two of the three Gulf Coast cities more than doubled what the new Southeastern promoters in Tennessee drew. And the smallest figure of the three Gulf Coast cities, Montgomery, was still 1,400 fans larger than Knoxville. That says a lot. All right, so I'm happy to say it looks like you were right about getting a learning tree question today. This one comes from Stan the Man Beck in Tupelo, Mississippi. So Stan's question is, Mr. Welch, I've been listening to your podcast and I'm so amazed by how you ran two different promotions at the same time. One question, why didn't you ever start one in Mississippi? <laughs> Uh, well, Stan the man, uh, that's a good name. You know, uh, thanks. First of all, thanks for your question. And, and it's a good one. You know, uh, uh, but before I begin the answer, I think a little background might be in order, man, since you're talking about Mississippi here. Uh, my family used to live in Mississippi when I was a freshman in high school, mm -hmm. lived in a small town called Potts Camp, not very far away from Tupelo where this gentleman is talking about, you mm -hmm. know, and, uh, and I even have a little history in Tupelo as well. You know, 
I wrestled the second match of my career, Dave, in Tupelo, Mississippi in 1969. Wow. And I got a $36 payoff. Whoa. You still had that? (laughs) (laughs) So, and I got a, and the only reason I remember it was $36 is because the night before I'd wrestled in Arkansas and and I got twice as much in Tupelo as I did in Arkansas. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the, it was a different day and time, man, when, when wrestlers weren't making a whole lot of money sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so, so uh, basically, uh, Stan, uh, you know, there's a very good reason I didn't expand my southeastern territory in the Mississippi. Uh, this was back long before Vince McMahon Jr. days, you know, and, and I bought the old Gulf Coast territory from the Fields Brothers in 1978 and uh, Bill Watts. Uh, was the owner of the territory just west of me, Mid-South Wrestling. Uh, Bill was a very good friend of mine and uh, actually a former wrestling partner of mine in Florida before I left Florida to go start my first territory. And uh, Bill had just bought the promotional rights to uh, most, of the, most of Mississippi, right? So, uh, so he was a member of the National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA, and, uh, and so was I. And uh, Bill and I didn't compete against each other. Unlike Vince McMahon Jr., who later on is going to take everybody's territory and run people out and, and run their cities, do basically whatever he wanted to. But it was a different day and time. Uh, so, however, you know, by 1985, uh, Bill wasn't running anything much but the major city of Jackson uh, in the state of Tennessee. And he ran some of the towns of Bluxy and, uh, you know, uh, Gulfport down there along the Mississippi Gulf Coast. and uh, But I had, in 1985, I had formed a Continental Championship Wrestling. By that. I asked Watts. I called Watts and I asked him if he had mind if I ran Columbus, Mississippi, which was in the extreme northeastern part of the state uh, that Bill had never run in and uh, since he had never been there before. And he, he agreed. He said, yeah, Ron, sure, run it, man. I don't have a problem with it. So we ran events about once a month there in a building called the Lavender Coliseum, uh, Columbus, Mississippi. And uh, Columbus wasn't a very large city, but we consistently filled that Coliseum's 5,000 seats. It was a great little wrestling. Wow. Not far, again, um, Stan, from, from Tupelo, right? So obviously, uh, very shortly uh, after that time, the wrestling business completely changed. Uh, you know, in states like Mississippi, were not on Vin- Vince McMahon Jr.'s map. He didn't care nothing about Mississippi, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but however, you know, I'm going to give Mississippi, the state of Mississippi, its due. Uh, that state was always a very good wrestling state, uh, and uh, your city of Tupelo, uh, Stan, was part of the Memphis, Tennessee territory for many years. And I'm sure you probably saw a whole lot of Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee over the years, man, in that town. And uh, so uh, this is, this this uh, the, 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 in addition to answering your question, this is kind of a little tribute to Mississippi, man, uh, for their love of the sport. Wow. So another great answer, Stud. You you just have an amazing grasp of the history of the sport. Everybody knows that. And speaking of history, you keep piling it on us with every Studcast. This one has been all over the place. So what do you have in store for us next week? 
Well, there's some more Tennessee next week. Uh, I'm going to be on two more Knoxville shows. Uh, the last one of those is going to be on Thanksgiving night, 1979, against the man I helped get started in the business earlier in that same year. And uh, at this point, he was going to be known as Sterling Golden. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm going to be wrestling the Hulk on Thanksgiving night, 1979, Knoxville. Uh, Southeastern Territory in Pensacola, man, at this point, it was going to start filling up with some of the best talent in the world. Over the next month, in the month of December, we're going to throw some really big stars in there in preparation for 1980. Uh, and uh, when that growth uh, we talked about in this one, uh, uh, and we talk about growing that territory, it's going to really start to grow uh, early on in 1980. And uh, so in the next studcast, as a matter of fact, Jimmy Golden, Norvell, and the big man himself from Canada, Joe LaDuke, are all going to start. Cool. So I think we're going to get uh, to, uh, I think, uh, Dave, after this one, uh, I think we're going to get to a learning tea question a lot more regularly from here on. And it uh, seems like fans enjoy that. And I'm going to be putting uh, putting out some posts soon here the, for fans that can leave their questions uh, for, for uh, learning tree as well as ask the stud, you know, because I'm, I'm going to be looking for a lot more questions and, uh, and I'm looking forward to the opportunity to answer some of the best of them. Oh yeah. I think that's a great opportunity and it's going to be a lot of fun getting some, some new insight into what's going on and, and then, and really what the people are wondering about and the questions just like the, the gentleman today about Mississippi. That's cool. All right, folks, you know the deal. Find Ron on Facebook at Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud. Like, follow him there, and automatically become friends with a living legend. On Twitter, it's the same thing. Find him on Twitter, now known as X. Ron Fuller Welch, you can follow him there, too. Check out the fantastic website. It's the home base, tnstud.com. This studcast is going to be there with every studcast ever done all of them are there including this one 323 of them you can shop the stud store where you get 43 super stud cast t-shirts four different eight by ten photos and the thrilling lion novel called brutus get your personally autographed copy there and you can get that done before christmas easily all right so subscribe now at youtube southeastern rewind and get the best in old school wrestling find 357 yes 357 videos the last 100 stud cast 52 stud stories 79 short rides with the stud and the new ask the stud 10 question and answer show all available now exclusively on youtube southeastern rewind the best in old school wrestling if you thought you knew everything about wrestling there's no doubt you'll find something there you didn't know at YouTube Southeastern Rewind. All right, great job again, Stud. Any final comments today? Obviously, I want to thank everybody, man, for making my podcast one of the most popular in all of wrestling. I never thought that uh, this would be as big as what it has become. And uh, please tell your friends and your neighbors about us if uh, if you if you have opportunity to talk to them and you think they might like it. Uh, Obviously, uh, 
We really appreciate all of our fans. Uh, take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at David Summers Productions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.